up, guys? My name is Courtney, and I want to welcome you to the Outpost Community Church Sunday Podcast. We're in the middle of our Matthew series, and it is our prayer that this would encourage you and challenge you with your walk with God. Guys, enjoy your week of worship. Is it on now? There it is. Sweet. How's everybody doing? Good? Good Thanksgiving? Sweet. Uh, well, if you haven't met me, my name's Addison. I'm on staff here uh, at Outpost. I'm the family ministries director, uh, which just means I lead our students' ministry and our kids' ministry. Uh, and so it's been a blast. My wife and I have been here for three years, uh, had our first baby here almost two years ago. And in the next two weeks, hopefully, we'll have our second, uh, which is exciting. Uh, if it was up to my wife, we'd have it tomorrow. So uh, <laughs> that is exciting. I'll pray for that. But uh, let me pray, and then we'll dive into what we're talking about. Uh, Lord, thank you so much uh, for what a gift it is to, to be here and to gather in your name and to be with the family of God. I pray that... Uh, today, we, we don't take that for uh, granted. And I pray that as we dive into the end of Matthew 10, that we're reminded about who we are and who others are around us, and that it leads us into treating others the way that they ought to be treated, the way that you see them. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, this morning it's not Addison's word, but that it's your word, and that we are just talking about your living word. We love you. We thank you. In your precious name, amen. All right. Well, uh, there is a show on TV. I actually don't know if it's still going on. I know it used to go on. Uh, and it was called Undercover Boss. And so some of y'all may have heard about Undercover Boss. Maybe you haven't. Let me kind of fill you in on the premise. And so this TV show... Uh, was a, a boss or an owner of some type of business and, and would go undercover uh, with a disguise and everything and be like introduced as a new employee to this business. And they do like a whole like orientation, they have a fake name, and uh, they go through for a certain amount of time undercover with a different identity and uh, see what the culture and what the business was really like from the inside. And uh, there were a few reasons why it was always funny. Uh, the first being the boss would go undercover and then they'd start to talk to these other employees. And eventually, these other employees would start to talk about the boss, to the boss, not knowing it was the boss. And so there, there are a bunch of episodes where these employees start to get all riled up and they start to talk bad about this guy. Oh, the boss, and he's just so greedy. And they're talking to the guy they're talking to. And uh, it was funny when the boss like jumped in and the boss would be like, oh, he's no good. Uh, he's talking about himself. So that was always one thing. The second thing uh, was the boss would, so one example was a coffee shop, right? The owner of this coffee shop got introduced and then was like a lower level employee. So this guy was starting to make the drinks. Turns out that he was great at running a business, terrible at making coffee drinks, uh, to the point where these other employees are like talking to their supervisor, trying to get this guy fired because he's so bad. <laughs> uh, and so it was always funny, but here's why I tell you that story is because an undercover boss, the premise was this, when you change someone's identity, 
or when you skew their identity, the way that everybody treats them or talks to them or what they talk about, or even at some points their work ethic, a lot of things would change because that person's identity would change. And so this morning we're going to dive into Matthew 10, verse 40 through 42. It's the end of this section where Jesus, starting in verse 24, is talking directly to his disciples, his followers. And he's instructing them on how to live and how to act and what they ought to do and maybe ought not to do. And here in the last three verses of chapter 10, he gives them uh, a statement in verse 40 and then how it plays out. And the statement is all about their identity. Jesus is going to answer the question, who are you and who are those around you? And the reason that question is so important is because the principle that undercover boss relied on is true in all of our lives. When the way that we see people, the way we identify people, the way we identify ourselves dictates how we treat and act going forward. And everybody in here should understand that. Like there's people in your lives that you have identified or labeled as uh, maybe frustrating or annoying. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they're cool and you want to hang out with them more. But what do you do with a frustrating and annoying person? You try to avoid them. And it dictates how you treat them. And so let me read 10, 40 through 42. It says this. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives, even, oh, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so there's a word that pops up called it's receives. Okay? And so let me just ease the tension here. When it says receives, what that's saying, another word you could replace that with is accepts. Okay? And so whoever accepts me, or whoever accepts a disciple, accepts Jesus. Whoever accepts Jesus, accepts the one who sent him, God the Father. And so receives means to Except, but the reason that verse 40 is so important is because it is making a statement about who you are. Listen to this. Whoever receives you, this is Jesus talking. Whoever receives you, disciple, receives me, Jesus. Whoever receives me, receives God who sent me. The one who sent me, God the Father. That's a crazy statement if you think about it. That is to say, if you receive a Christian, if you receive a disciple of Jesus, you receive God. And that is a statement about who you are. You see, our identity is so intertwined with God, it's inseparable that to accept you is to accept God himself. And, and that's the way it always has been. That's not a new idea. We just don't talk about it often in a church. But listen, back in Genesis, there's the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant uh, was a, a promise God made with Abraham, and it included three things. Land, the land, the promised land, that there's wars going on today over. See that God would make a nation out of Abraham. And then the last one was blessing. And in Numbers 24, 15, it says this, I will 
Curse those who curse you, and I will bless those who bless you. That is God talking to Abraham. He's identifying himself with his people. God always has identified himself with his people. There's a reason that when Saul converts to Paul, if you don't know that story, Saul was a person who persecuted Christians. That's what we say. He was killing Christians. He was going after Christians to kill them. And God revealed himself to Saul and blinded him because God's glory. And he tells him, he asks him a question. He says, Saul, why do you persecute me? It was not, Saul, why do you persecute my people? Why do you persecute the Christians? Why do you persecute those people? He said, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so my first point under identity is this. God identifies with us. God identifies with us. And here's the thing, is that the end of Romans 8 tells us this. Nothing can separate us from that love. Neither heights nor depths nor rulers nor anything else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God. So not only does God identify with us, but nothing can take that away from you. And listen, some of y'all just need to hear this this morning. God is for you. God loves you. He is for you. He doesn't want your life to be miserable just because he wants your life to be miserable. God is for you. He loves you. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. And so that's true, but the flip side of this is also true, which is those around you who are Christians, God also identifies with. And he also loves them, and nothing can separate them from his love. And this is going to be both, and it should be both, a conviction and an opportunity. And let me explain that. Here's the conviction. Is that if it is true that to accept a disciple of Jesus means to accept God himself, then it's also true that to deny a disciple of Jesus means, or reject a disciple of Jesus means to reject God himself. And that is a convicting thing, because there's a lot of us, myself included, who in the past week have gossiped or lied or talked negatively about other believers, other people in the family of God. Who God loves and he identifies himself with them as well. And this week I thought about it and I asked myself, if I get to heaven, is God going to ask me, why do you persecute me? And that's a question we ought to answer for ourselves. If God identifies himself with other Christians, why do we identify them as frustrating or annoying? They are children of God. They're brothers and sisters in the faith. They're part of the same family as you are. And so that is convicting. How do we treat one another? How do we treat other Christians? Now here's the opportunity though. What if, instead of, why do you persecute me? What if it was, thank you for loving me. And thank you for loving my family. And and listen, this morning, I don't want us to leave when we leave, uh, beat down or just having a, a conviction or a guilt or a shame in our heart and leaving 
out of that. I think often it's easy for uh, when someone teaches a sermon and it convicts us for us to leave feeling bad. But what I want us to do is leave feeling encouraged and feeling ready to go and wanting to over the next uh, our lives, the rest of our lives, especially this next month or week or whatever it is, to love one another and love the family of God because God identifies himself with all of us. And so that person you might in your heart feel negatively towards because they're frustrating or annoying, God identifies himself with them and we ought to love them as best as we can because they are children of God. And to receive them is to receive God himself. And so we have an opportunity. But here's the danger, and here's our problem. Let me illustrate this by telling you a story from this past week in my own life. A week ago, I started a project on my house, a little landscaping thing. I had a bunch of river rock, and, and uh, there was a bunch of, it doesn't really matter. The whole, I just was going to throw it in front of my house. Okay? I thought it was going to look good. It doesn't look as good as I thought it was going to look. That's all right. I already did it. Uh, and so I had all this rock in my backyard, filled it up uh, with a wheelbarrow, now dumped it in my front yard. Uh, thought I had enough rock. I had like less than a fourth of what I needed. And so I had to go get rock. And uh, I found, luckily, a guy on Facebook who was giving his river rock away. It was in his yard. And so last Sunday, drove up to his house in 2AB. And uh, I'll be completely honest. All I wanted to do is to show up, fill up my truck with rock, and then leave. That's all I wanted to do. I was in the mood to work. And I showed up, and uh, it was the single uh, guy who uh, the only thing he wanted was to talk to me. And uh, in my heart, in that moment, I had someone just like, can you just let me get this rock and leave? Truly. Well, uh, he comes out and, and he starts like, talking to me and I'm like loading up my, uh, these buckets with rock and all this stuff. And uh, he sees an Arkansas sticker on my truck. He goes, oh, you, uh, are you from Arkansas or something? I go, oh, no, I'm not actually from there, from Texas, but I went there uh, for college. And he's like, no way, I did too. And I graduated there, actually. And something changed in that moment, in my heart, where it's like, oh, well, now I'm on the same team as this guy. And now I want to talk to him. And so we started talking. He graduated from Arkansas with an education degree. I also graduated with an education degree. And so we just talked for like an hour. Uh, and, then I, and then I had to make another trip. So I went back and we talked for another hour. And, and here's what I thought. Here's the convicting thing. is In that moment, the, the sad thing is that it mattered more about what college he went to than it did if he was a disciple of Jesus. Listen, our problem is that we are filled with worldliness. I look back on that with sadness. And it's with conviction because in that moment, the second he said he was an Arkansas fan, it did something. It changed my attitude towards him. How much more so should it change our attitude when we hear somebody is part of the family that we are a part of? And that God identifies himself with that person. And so listen, I think we've got to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what do we really care about? Because there's a lot of us who talk a lot of stuff about other churches, about other people in our community group, about other people in this church. I mean, just this past week, I can think of on multiple hands the amount of times I've heard people gossip about other people in this body, not only in this body, but also other churches. And listen, 
I'm here to tell you that CMA, Hope, Highland Park, it does not matter. We are part of the same family of God, and if we don't figure that out, it's going to lead to a lot of trouble. Amen. And so, listen, we can say amen, we can do all these things, but it starts with us. We've got to draw the circle around yourself and say, where's the problem with me and my heart? And I'm telling you, the problem with me and my heart starts with, I care more about Arkansas fans than I do disciples of Jesus. So what do you care more about? And, and if we figure this out, what we're going to start to see is more stories of the family of God acting like the family of God. I was encouraged by two stories this past week. Uh, one being uh, the Stevensons. This didn't happen this past week, but I was reminded of it. The Stevensons went down to, I think it was Missouri, uh, a while ago. This was a month or two ago. And, and while they were in there, their car broke down. Uh, their engine broke. And they had to get a replacement engine. And so they were there for like, I don't remember how long it was. I think it was like three weeks. They were stuck in Missouri. And a church, a local church there, took them in and gave them housing. And they told, when they got back, they told us, they were like, we had more food than we knew what to do with. Because these people just started giving them food. They, had, they were giving them money. They were taking care of them. They gave them houses to sleep in, beds to sleep in, clean sheets. They were doing their laundry. They were taking care of them. They didn't know the Stevensons. They just knew that they were part of the same family that they did, oh. that they were. And that's what it looks like. Another story uh, is I heard a guy this week who was at the uh, uh, airport. At that coffee shop. And him and another guy were meeting there. They're open Bibles and they're just talking about God's word. And while they got there, a plane came in. And, and it was just one guy flying it. And, and he landed and he got out and he was walking. He saw them with the Bibles. At this point, my, my friend's friend left. And so it was just one of my buddies with his Bible opened out. Opened up. <clears throat> and uh, this guy who just landed walked past him and said, oh, are you a Christian? You're reading the Bible? It's like, oh, I am a Christian. Yeah, are you? And it turned out that this guy lives in Mexico full-time as a missionary. And his job is uh, to fly a plane. I guess he does, uh, what do you call it, like cargo stuff. And he uh, flies planes all over, but he lives in Mexico. And the only reason he has this job is because he wanted to be a full-time missionary. And he was stopping in Cody for the night because he was in, in, going to end up going to Boise. And, and my friend then asked him, okay, well, what's your plan? Are you just staying here for the night? Are you going to a hotel? Do you know people here? He's like, oh, I'm just going to walk over to the hotel. He's like, no, you're not. You're staying with me. And so this guy then ended up uh, getting invited to spend the night and, and to stay with my friend and his family. And they prayed for him at their dinner table. And they fed him breakfast. They fed him dinner. And then they sent him off to go back to Boise and then back to Mexico. That's what it looks like. When we truly understand that we're part of the same family. And we ought to have more stories like that. And so my challenge for y'all is to have eyes to see opportunities that you can treat other people that are in the same family the way that they ought to be treated, the way that you should treat them, the way that you would treat someone in the same family as you. That's what we ought to do. And so, listen, our identity is this. God identifies himself with us. Nothing can separate us from that love. And that other's identity is the same. And if other's is the same, then we ought to be treating them accordingly. And so, listen, that's verse 40. But the so what, okay, I get it. 
We ought to treat people like this, and, and our identity is wrapped up with Christ and with God, but so what? And, and he answers this in a way in verse 41 and 42, and that's what we're going to spend the next bit talking about. Let me read 41 42. It says this, The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so let's talk about some of the implications that our identity, if we're a new creation, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. How should we treat these new creations? What are the implications of this new identity? Well, first let me talk about this. In that section, and if you read any uh, commentaries on this section, a lot of the commentaries will focus on uh, prophet, righteous person, a righteous man, depending on your translation, and little ones. What does that mean? How do they differentiate uh, between those? And, and let me just tell you, you can go and research that, and it is important, it's interesting. But at the end of the day, he's bringing up those three things to essentially say, hey, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's a new Christian or it's a prophet, whatever you know, gift you have. It does not matter. They're all a part of the same family. And whoever receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward, and even a little one will not lose his reward. It does not matter. And so this is implying that we have different roles and positions within the church. And so let me kind of give you this example. Okay, I, every Wednesday night, uh, am a busy man. So I do student ministry, which is primarily on Wednesday nights. And every Wednesday night, uh, well, about a year ago, we started to realize that when we brought uh, Carter, our son, to that Wednesday night, uh, it never went as well as it did when we didn't bring him. Because he can start walking, and then he's distracting, and then it, especially if it's my wife's group, it's just the middle school girls, then everybody's like, oh, he's so cute, and that's all they want to do the whole time. Uh, and, and so what we do now is a, a girl named August Dewey watches Carter. And so in this example... I would be the doer of the ministry, right? But August is enabling me to do that ministry. And what this is saying is that the reward for this is no different between the enabler and the doer. It doesn't matter what role or position you play, the reward is the same. And listen, there are people in this body with different rewards and di or different positions and different roles, and we all have to play them equally. And, and I can't tell you exactly what yours is, but... What, it, what matters is how faithful are you to where God has you? Are you being faithful? And so look, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 talks about spiritual gifts. We all have different gifts. We all have different positions and roles. And it would be silly if some of y'all understand football terms. It would be silly if a wide receiver wasn't playing offensive line. And in the same way, if you had an offensive lineman, you wouldn't want him to be quarterback. And so we have to understand and define our roles, and then we have to play them. Now, that is true, but also this is true. And so the first thing, the implications are positions and roles. We have to play your role. The second is be an owner. And so what I just said is true, but there are also things that we all can own as a body. 
And so listen, if you were starting like a, a house church with six families and you had a bunch of kids uh, and you decided that the kids needed like somebody to watch them so that the rest of the group can focus on what they're talking about, you would probably end up just rotating couples, right? That would make sense. But for some reason, when we get in the building, and I'm not like, you know, throwing uh, judgment on you, but for some reason it gets weird and different when we're in a building. And uh, we can have a mindset that we can show up and want to be served and uh, not be an owner of the ministry. And, and so listen, I'm here to tell you that there are some people, the most faithful people in our body are probably the people who maybe not up here every single week, but some of the most faithful people in our body are Eric Monfeld, who's been down there since Outpost has started every other week. And I can count on the one hand the number of times he's missed because he's been out of town or whatever it is. That's a guy who's faithful. He's owning the ministry and he's playing his role. He is down there consistently. So we ought to be people who are seeing a need and meeting a need. Uh, some examples I love to talk about. Ashley Scott, she didn't know I was going to do this. Uh, two, I think two or three weeks ago, I was out of town uh, and I didn't have my phone. And so there was something that went on in the nursery and somebody ended up not being able to come last minute. So we only had one person in the nursery. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been around little kids, but that can be chaotic and crazy. And Ashley Scott saw that, and it wasn't her week to serve, but she saw the need, and then she went and served anyways, and she met that need. She saw the need and met a need. She owned that ministry. She owned her part, and she was being faithful. Somebody else who does a fantastic uh, job at this that everybody in here, if you know him, would agree is Tony Mong. Tony Mong's a guy who, if, if you are moving, he finds a way to figure out you're moving, and then he's going to show up and help you, okay? This guy uh, is an owner. He is always trying to serve another uh, person. He's always trying to be outward-focused and serve. And so, look, we got to be people who are owners, and we got to be people who have each other's backs. And so play your role. Be an owner. Let's be a group that is known for the way we love each other and accept each other and watch out for each other. The next one is uh, hospitality. And so I did say to receive means to accept. And when you say or hear the word receive, it kind of sounds more like having people in your house or whatever. And I'm here to tell you that that's also equally important. There's some people, okay, who have the gift of hospitality. They, like, you know them, you go to their house, and it's like you feel like you're on top of the world. You feel like you're a famous person or somebody because uh, they are just treating you so well. Uh, that's not me. Uh, I don't think about that at all. And, and so I'm here to tell you, if you have that gift, you've got to carry the team here. But also, uh, but also God tells us to be hospitable. It doesn't say if you just have the gift of hospitality, be hospitable. And so we need to be people who practice hospitality, receive others into your home. I sent an email out to uh, a group of parents who, in student ministry, host students uh, often. And so these are people, if, if you don't know anything about our student ministry, we only meet all together once every month. And the rest of the weeks of that month are hosted in, uh, in what we'll call a small group, which is divided by gender and age, and they're hosted by the parents. 
And so I sent out an email to the parents who host often. And I highlighted a number of things that were going on in our student ministry, a number of things uh, that happened, whether it be baptism, whether it be students coming to Christ, uh, all of this stuff. And I told them, and the reason I highlighted this is because I told them that they play a role in that happening. There are students that come to our ministry because it's easier to come to somebody's house than it is a church. And their hospitality is making an eternal difference in kids' lives. And I'm here to tell you that your hospitality can make eternal differences in anyone's lives. So Christians ought to be the most hospitable people. That reward is the same as the leaders. And so we ought to be people who are hospitable. Welcome others into your home. Just like the story of my friend who did that to the pilot. And the last one is this generosity. We need to be people who are growing in generosity. I had this thought this week, okay? There's a lot of people in this room who will probably never be up here giving a sermon. And there's probably a lot of people who don't ever want to do that. Um, But there's also a group of people who give generously to our local body here at Outpost. And that money makes a difference. And the reality is that you giving actually plays a role in people teaching up here. You giving plays a role. Every Tuesday afternoon I go, or Tuesday at lunch, I have a Bible study in the high school, and we have kids from seven or eight different churches come together, and they're hearing the Word of God in the high school walls. And every month I bring pizza. And every time I bring pizza, about five new kids come. Okay? That's crazy how that works. But here's the thing, that pizza comes out of our student budget. And that student budget is there because y'all have generously given to our ministry. And so I'm here to tell you, you giving is directly correlated to kids hearing about Jesus. And often we don't think about that. Often it's just a reoccurring thing in our bank account. And it pops up and you kind of forget about it. And then you're like, oh, that's there. I guess that's good. But you giving is a form of worship. You giving is a form of service, and it goes towards the ministry. It makes an eternal difference, and there's a reward for that. That's what this is saying. And so what an opportunity it is to give. What an opportunity it is to be hospitable. What an opportunity it is to love others. It's an opportunity. And let me say this as we kind of finish up here. John 13.35 is, is our vision. By this, this is what it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What would it look like for someone to walk through those doors on a Sunday morning and come and observe the way that Christians are interacting with each other, whether it be the way we talk about each other, talk about other churches, the way we serve, the way we host people, the way we give generously. And by the way, it's not just finances, it's a heart mindset. Are we thinking or praying about others? What would it look like for someone to observe the way that we're loving each other and leave going, something's different about them? Listen, friends, Jesus is telling us that people should know that we are his by the way we love each other. How in the world are we going to love each other when we're gossiping behind each other's backs? How in the world are we going to love each other 
If we're refusing to be hospitable, refusing to be generous, we got to be people who are examples for the rest of the world to see and to look at and, and, and to leave going, those people must be gods. There's something different about them. That should be our mission. Do you really love people? Because listen, to love a children of God, a child of God, to love a brother and a sister in the faith, it tells us in verse 40 is to love God himself. Do you really think that's true? And if so, why? And if so, can somebody else tell from looking at your life? If someone looked at your life and observed you for a week, would they be able to say, that person's different, the way they treat people, the way they talk about people, the way they give generously, host people, the way that they play their position or their role, they use their gift, or the way that they own the ministry and be faithful to where God has them today? And so listen, let me just say this as I pray and then then wrap up. Is what is your next step of faithfulness? What's your next step of faithfulness? I think a lot of times as a church we can push and push and push and say, we got to go over that mountain. We got to go over there. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And let me just, for a second, take that pressure off of you and just ask you, what would it look like for you to just take one step, one step of faithfulness? Would it be that you give generously one more time or one time before the end of the year? Would it be that you host somebody in your house? Would it be that you set up accountability around you that you can stop gossiping? One of the best things I've heard is a thing called the 24-hour rule. Okay, and I'm opening myself up right now. Y'all can 24-hour rule me, okay? Here's what the 24-hour rule is is if somebody comes to you and starts to gossip about somebody else to you, you go, hey, I'm going to 24-hour rule rule you. You've got 24 hours to tell that person that you were just telling me about to tell it to them. Okay? And so listen, if that's your problem, if your problem is gossip, open yourself up to that, to the people around you. Say, hey, tell your wife, to your kids, 24-hour rule me. Okay? I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is, my challenge for you is to take your next step of faithfulness. Whatever that is. And so I love to make it awkward on the car ride home. But on the car ride home, here's what I want everybody to do, okay? This is a very black and white instruction. On the car ride home, as a family or just by yourself, ask yourself and ask others, what is your next step of faithfulness? What would it look like for you to take one more step? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your call to, to love others as children of God. I pray that we leave here encouraged, ready to love others, understanding that other Christians are part of the same family that we are a part of. And that's not a figurative thing. That's a literal thing. We are part of the family of God. It doesn't matter if we're in these walls. It doesn't matter if we're outside of these walls. And I pray that that changes the way that we see other people, changes the way that we see ourselves, that we are children of God, that neither heights nor depths nor rulers nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from your love. We are new creations. The old has passed away and the new has come. 
you identify yourself with your people. You love us. You are for us. And you are for the family of God. And so I pray that you start to change the way we view people, to start to view people the way that you view people. Give us a heart of love, not a heart of condemnation. And then lastly, Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here that is not part of the family of God, that has not put their faith in you, that you came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross, whoever believes in you will have eternal life. That you put it on their heart now. To believe. To be accepted by you. To be loved and be a part of your family. Lord, we love you. Thank you. In your precious name,